0: Question for you this morning as we start our time together. How many of you grew up going to church? Right, or if you didn't go to church, maybe vacation Bible school. Isn't it funny the things you think about that you remember uh, when you grew, grow up going to church? Um, I, I find myself remembering like church potlucks. And we didn't have styrofoam plates and that type of thing back then. Every single family had those super sized lunch counter trays. Um, that mom would pull out of this bag and hand out to everybody uh, as you go through the line. I remember uh, being in uh, elementary school in Gene Osborne's Sunday school class and some of the older boys convincing me that it would be funny to stick a tack on Derek Smith's chair. I have never been hit harder in my life. I remember um, listening, um, probably not with my complete attention to my minister speaking and preaching uh, about how one day we would all be just like the eagles, And I'm like, I'm trying to think, eagles, What in the world is he talking about? So I, I wrote down the scripture that he was talking about. I went home and I read the scripture and it says, and he will, we will mount up like wings of eagles. I'm like, oh. The same, same minister also had a fear of symmetry that I could never understand, but I found out that he was talking about cemeteries uh, that, he, that he was fearful of. I remember the day I was baptized, and I've shared this with you, and seeing the effect that that decision had on my grandpa foreman. I, I, I remember Oki Campbell, who, no joke, was no taller than this, but it seemed like he opened the, 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 the door to the Belprie Church of Christ, for 35 years every single Sunday and greeted you with a smile and a handshake. And even though he was, he was in his 70s and 80s, he was interested about everything that a 12, 13, 16, 17-year-old kid was doing. I, I, I remember one time when the elders of, of the church were taking uh, the opportunity to teach the youth. And I remember one of the elders who led this, this, the study on this given Sunday um, he, he had this um, long bunch of yarn, and it was yarn that would probably stretch from me uh, to where Brett is sitting, and there was 24 strands of yarn. and All of us were sitting in a circle, and he, he gave me that one end of the, the yarn that was all tied together in a knot. And He says, there are 24 strands here that represent the 24 hours that you are given in a day. How do you spend them? So you would have to take this number of five, six, seven, eight, nine hours that you spend sleeping, and you had to uh, hand that to somebody who then got a sticker on their chest that said, I am sleep. Uh, And then you had to hand somebody, uh, a certain amount to somebody who was school, and then a part-time job and and girlfriend. And then you had all the 24 strands distributed around this circle, um, and then he threw something else in there. And so we're going to fast forward until you trick somebody, persuade somebody into saying yes to your I do, um, and you introduce a wife into this. So somebody was, was given the, the wife sticker, and um, then, then whatever I had given, I had to redistribute some of my time to my spouse, but whatever I gave her, she had to give me. And then she had to distribute all of hers. And then a little bit later, they introduced a child into the mix and a third bunch of yarn that was going all over the place. And you can imagine by the end of this event, this, this demonstration, this object lesson, that it looked like a giant spider web with strands going all over the place. And I remember that for several reasons. One, I paid attention for the entire 45 minutes. But throughout the years, I go back to that Teaching that object lesson is almost a bit of prophecy about what our lives look like as they change as we get older and older and older. And if his whole point was if we aren't intentional about how we spend, how we distribute the gift of time, it can become this this messy, complicated web. I remember that. 35, 40 years later, 40, 45 years later. I remember as a as a recent college grad and a single guy, my first job that that I, I drove my Ford Festiva. You remember that? It was about this much longer than a smart car. I got 50 miles to the gallon before hybrids were around. But I drove what I could cram into it, followed by my mom, and Shelby was riding with me uh, in the Festiva, but my mom in the Suburban that carried all the rest of my possessions out to the Cincinnati area. Pleasant Plain, Ohio, to be exact. It's, it's, it's a building with cornfields all the way around it. And I remember being dropped off there and watching them leave and thinking about when I get in school, in the, in the classroom, I have the weekend to get ready for my first day as a teacher. And I have so much to do. I'm going to be so busy this weekend. I have the slightest idea what I'm going to do Monday morning when kids walk into my room, but I am so busy. And then, so Shelby and I were, uh, I was living in Cincinnati area. She was going to school in Parkersburg, and every Friday I was either racing my kids to my car as as the last class ended so I could drive back home. Or I was waiting for her to come out and to visit me for the weekend. And the way it would happen is if I came home Sunday after church, we would go get lunch and then I would go back. And I thought, I could squeeze out a little bit more time with this good looking girl. So I waited around until after Sunday evening services. You guys remember when we had those? And then I would just drive back and get back late. It was all right. I'm 22 years old. I can handle this. And then it was like, I could get a few more hours if I got up really, really early on Monday morning and drove back as long as I beat my kids to the, the classroom for that first period. So I did that for a while, and finally, I called her on the phone, and I said, let's get married. And that wasn't the proposal, okay? I was a little bit better than that. We were already engaged, and she said, yeah, we're going to get married. And I said, no, let's get married now. So that was the beginning of December, and on December 23rd, we were married, and she moved out there, uh, and, and we, we started life together. And then we added a kid to that mix, and man, we were busy. New marriage, fairly new job, a new kid, a new place to live, uh, and we, we were busy, we moved back to the Mid-Ohio Valley, right? and we added a second kid to that mix, and the busyness just amped up. And then a little bit later, uh, we, added, we went from two to four, and we doubled the busyness. And we went from a, uh, I went from teaching at a small Christian school to leading a small Christian school to moving back to the Mid-Ohio Valley to, to teaching and coaching, To going from Morgan County, Ohio to Athens County, Ohio, and working as an after school coordinator, um, and all the time the busyness is just getting more and more because babies when you hold are easy to keep track of. Babies when they can move on their own, that's another level of busyness. But going from an after school coordinator of one program to an executive director over a big nonprofit. To from dabbling in ministry to jumping with both feet into ministry, back into the nonprofit world, and then coming here one Sunday morning just to check things out, and then getting hooked by the children's ministry and all that it provided for my then young sons and daughters. Of getting, uh, I'll say hooked again, into saying yes to being an interim children's pastor that 15 years later. Ten years later, and the 15 now, led to being lead pastor of this church. And the busyness level never seemed to go down. It always seemed to keep going up and up and up. And that's sort of the theme of life, isn't it? Busyness, busyness, busyness. Busyness. Our life can become this beautiful and frantic and never-ending and joy-giving and joy-robbing and gut-wrenching and belly-laugh journey. It can become messy and complicated. It can become beautiful and frustrating. And I think that we would all agree that, that our lives as a whole, lives as a whole have become just this busy, 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 that we barely have time to rest. And when we do think about rest, we schedule it as some far-off event that we work toward, that we save for, that we pay a lot of money for, that we, we work ourselves to death until we get to that point, and then we try to like amass all of this rest and rejuvenation uh, into this short period of time. That is then quickly dissolved as you drive, make that nine-hour trek back into a busy, busy, busy schedule. We make our daily and our weekly lives have become these insurmountable lists of things to do, of appointments and obligations, of practices and tasks and games that can only be navigated with our daily calendar and our family share plan so that we don't Accidentally schedule something on top of something else. Because of this constant on the go busyness as normal pace, we often slide what's most important off to the side or to the back burner for a day when theoretically life will be less hectic. We make decisions that are detrimental to our family, to our work, to our health. And to our relationship with God. We become so used to this lifestyle that we're scared to death of the alternative. We become slaves to this pace and we're fearful of the wrong things. We're so entrapped uh, that we have given power to the wrong people and to the wrong places, to the wrong things. We become so controlled by the pace that we're afraid to to let up. Because if I don't match or exceed my sales numbers from last year, this year, my boss ain't going to be happy. If I don't expose my children to more things than I was exposed to, I'm going to shortchange them in this, this, this long journey of life. If I don't work harder for a, at a, or at a second job, we won't be able to keep up with those around us, and we succumb to these standards that are given to us by people who really don't care a whole lot about us right now and definitely don't care about where we spend our eternity. We compromise our family time, we ignore our most vital and our most intimate relationships. We exert extra energy in the wrong places. We earn more and fall further into debt. We fill our cal- calendars all the way up and then we resort to sticky notes so that we can slide a few more things in there. We ask those closest to us to pick up a, some extra responsibilities just for a season that turns into be this lifelong endeavor. And maybe, maybe in addition to all the ill effects that our busyness has on all of that, maybe the most detrimental of consequences is the impact that it has on our decision-making. Because we, we don't process information the way we should. We don't wrestle with information. We're just, we either say no very quickly, or we say yes, just because that's how we become accustomed to living our lives. We in our busyness cannot and we will not stop to think seriously, to to pray, to seek counsel, to slowly weigh out the facts. Our decision-making process, just like our lives, drown out what is best. We won't even consider what's best because we have been doing what's comfortable, what's easier, what's most familiar. What doesn't require us to change anything, and we don't have margins where we can stop and consider, truly consider what's best for us. We're fearful of slowing down, but I venture to say with great confidence that that is exactly what we need, and church, that is exactly how we were made and designed Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to you with beautiful words. And God, I pray that we are always inviting and welcoming and desiring the Spirit to fill us and to lead us and to empower us. That we are always looking to your name above every other name. That we are seeking you and rest in you. And God, as we pray, as we sing, as we read, as we give, as we worship in total this morning, God, I pray that we are able to see just how important it is for us to step into, to step back into the design that you intended for us. And God, we love you. And just open our heads and open our hearts for the next few minutes as we look at how we can step back into your rest for us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. We've already talked about how in 2023 that we're going to ask you to wrestle with some things. But before we can wrestle with things, we need to learn how to slow down because it's hard to wrestle with something and give what we should be focusing on the attention when you are wrestling in this whirlwind. We are starting the year with this series, the first series called Awkward Silence. And our our goal in the next three weeks is to make that silence less awkward and more desirable. And we're going to look at a couple different things in these next three weeks. Today, we're going to look at Sabbath. Next week, we're going to look at silence and solitude together. And the last week, we're going to look at something that we don't often talk about in, in evangelical churches, shalom, this peace of being in God's will and in God's presence. Today, we're starting with Sabbath. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word, which literally means, simply means to stop. But it also can mean to delight. And I think if you take those two um, meanings together, you're able to see better what God did in creation. See, Sabbath is not new, it's just new to us. Or maybe we should say it's foreign to us. But Sabbath is as old as the earth is. You you see, uh, four or five truths that we want to look at this morning. And the first is that God created, God designed Sabbath. If you have your bibles or your or your phone or your 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 iPad go back to Genesis to the very beginning of creation. God has already created and filled the earth with all these amazing things, these beautiful things. And at the end of chapter 1 in verse 20 or verse 31, we have these words, and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2 starts with, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. God created Sabbath. Did God need to rest? Yeah, I'm not going down that, down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but God, God chose to rest. He chose to stop. He chose to delight in all that He had filled the earth with, all that He had created. And, and then, aside from just creating it and designing it, in verse, in verse three, if we keep reading, we see that God blessed the seventh day. Not only did He create it, but He made it special. And and then if we keep reading, then he also sanctified it. God sanctified the Sabbath. That means he made it holy. He set it apart for a special purpose. That idea of holy or holiness we see all throughout the pages of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, We're called a peculiar people, a holy people, because we have been set apart for a special purpose purpose. God designed, he created Sabbath. He blessed the Sabbath. He he sanctified the Sabbath, and God also commanded the Sabbath. Now, we we, we get the idea of Sabbath from Genesis chapter 2, but we don't hear the word Sabbath until you get over to Exodus chapter 16. And over in Exodus chapter 16, uh, God has the Israelites in the wilderness they have been freed from slavery, and now Moses is leading them because of their disobedience and because of their lack of faith in the wilderness on a journey that will take 40 years. And during this time, you have these hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who are going through the wilderness, and they get hungry. So God provides food for them. And he says, when you go out, only pick up enough food for one day. Did the people of Israel listen to him? Mm, some did, some didn't. Some people thought, hey, I'll just take tomorrow off, so I'll just get some extra. So they ate, they boiled, they baked what they needed for that day, and then for the next day, and what happened when they woke up the next day? It was gone. Not physically, but you weren't going to eat it. There were, it was wormy. It was, it, 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 it was no longer any good. So God said, okay, here in Exodus 16, he's going through uh, what what he's telling the people. He says, tomorrow there's going to be a special day, a solemn Sabbath. And here's how you prepare for it. On day number six, this is the day where you can collect more. I want you to get in this rhythm. So on day six, collect and bake and boil and have enough ready for two days. Because on day number seven, I ain't sending anything. It's going to be a day of rest. Notice that on that day seven, God is still stopping. He's got a million plus people that are his, under his care that he is leading, and he rests, and he commands his people to rest. Do the people listen? Some do. Some wake up early on the Sabbath and go out looking for food for the day and they don't find anything. But God in 16 commands a Sabbath. If you flip over a few more uh, chapters, a few more pages to Exodus chapter 20, He makes it formal And uh, when He gives the Ten Commandments to Moses and to the Israelites. right in, 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 in Exodus chapter 20 verse 8, He says, "'Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, And do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter. Your male servant. Your female servant. Or your livestock. Or the sojourner who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord uh, made the heaven and the earth. The sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He created he blessed, he consecrated, he commanded the Sabbath. We often think that God's commands are restrictive, but church, they're not. Way back in creation, the first time that God, that man heard God's voice, God blessed them in the form of a command. And God blessed them, and he said, go, multiply, fill the earth. God's commands create this sphere in which we can enjoy Him to the fullest in creation and in Sabbath. God does not limit us through us through his commands, he blesses us. And I want you to think about that, church. I want you to think about the truth hidden in that statement as it applies to your life. If you're married, Just think about it for a second. If you adhere to God's commands for that marriage relationship, how much more amazing, protected, powerful, blessed, and even consecrated is your marriage relationship going to be? Pull that over to how you parent, how you operate as an employee, how you operate as an employer how you operate as a church member, as a church leader, as a community member, God's commands create the way to us living the fullest life possible. Yeah, but this is Old Testament stuff. This doesn't apply to me. Yeah, but remember what Jesus did and said. Matthew 5, 17, he reminds us, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In Christ, we see this fuller, this richer idea of covenant rest. Because no longer are we simply resting in a day to be with God. We're resting with the Son of God. We're we're resting in him and all... That he has done. Sixty plus times in the New Testament, the idea of Sabbath comes up. Fifty of those are in the Gospels. Almost all of those are coming from Christ's teaching or practice of the Sabbath. By studying them and what he said, what he did on the Sabbath or about the Sabbath, we understand how he fulfilled it. He was the initiator and the embodiment of the new covenant. And Jesus could have said that the Sabbath was, eh, just forget about that, but he didn't. Rather, he talked about the Sabbath at length. He observed the Sabbath. And when he did, when he did practice Sabbath, when we see those pictures, we see him walking through fields with his closest friends. We see him going to the synagogue to be in the Word of God, with the people of God. We see him doing good on the Sabbath. We see him worshiping and teaching on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't abolish the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. And he did something amazing in the process. God created, he blessed, he consecrated, he commanded, and then Jesus gifted us with the Sabbath. The Hebrew... The Hebrew writer uh, in, in Hebrews chapter four says this. He says, "So and, and just to set the context for that. Now in, in that part of Ephesians, he's doing a little bit of a history lesson. He goes way back to creation, and he's talking about this idea of rest and this theme that is constant in Hebrews, that Jesus is better, Jesus is better. And in chapter three, he's talking about how Jesus is, is greater than Moses. And he starts talking about this idea of rest, this idea of this gift of rest that God had given to his people and how they have abused it. Some, some obeyed, some didn't. It brings up people like Joshua, these, these historic, these big, larger-than-life leaders who led and who always didn't fulfill what God desired. And here he's talking about rest, but he's saying this rest is still available for you. If you get over into chapter 4 and verse 9, you read something like this. So there remains, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That rest, Sabbath rest is offered as a gift still to this day, to the people of God. The one sheet for, this, for today is actually the one sheet for this entire series, and it's just a list of references, a list of resources, rather. Uh, one of the resources on there is a short, easy to read, but powerful book by Adam Mabry called The Art of Rest. And in that book, he covers what Sabbath rest does for us. Sabbath rest allows us to remember it allows us to remember all that God has done for us. It allows us, it helps us to resist. We have all of these voices just screaming in our ears that you need to live like this. You need to lead like this. You need to, to earn money like this. Uh, you, need, you, you need to be a part of community like this. <laughs> rest, Sabbath rest allows us to be able to tune in to what God is saying is best for our lives and resist all the other influences that are out there, the influences that desire to pull us away from God's design. Rest also restores relationship. Right? It restores our relationship with God, but it also restores relationship in those that we share Sabbath with, those that we pull into our encounter, our day, our time with God. And also Sabbath brings reward. The reward, and I'll talk about this more in just a second, the reward is just this ongoing rejuvenation, this, this continued passion, this, this more intentional focus on what we are supposed to be about. But we like to be on the go. We, 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 we like to do, we like to be active. So, in order to step into, to fit into that vernacular, Let's make stopping an action. Let's make Sabbath a verb. Now, if you're, a, if you're an Apple user, an iMac user, uh, Mac Mini, a, there's not Word like you, you PC people use. It's, there's a program called Pages. Pages does not like me making Sabbath a verb. You get that red line underneath of it. It tells you, hey, this is wrong, dummy. But let's make Sabbath a verb. God Sabbathed. He created everything. And then he stopped, he stepped back, and he delighted in what he had made. Jesus Sabbathed. Even in his limited time on earth, Jesus stopped and delighted in the Father. In the toughest times, he stopped. When he was troubled, he sat with his father. When things started to push in around him, he hit pause. And as we'll talk about next week, he sought solitude in those times of trouble. If God created and blessed it and consecrated and commanded it, if Jesus practiced it and then gifted it to us, maybe, just maybe, you and I should Sabbath as well. Now, before we get too far with the, the with the resistance, like, all right, Tony, you, you ask us to to amp up our quiet time with God. I can take fifteen minutes and stretch that to thirty. I can uh, I can do that. I mean, now you want me to come to to, to worship regularly, uh, if I can fit it in my schedule, we'll, it'll it'll be all right. But to give a day just to be with God, but I'm too busy. Uh, Yeah, but God. Just think about this for a second. God, the creator of everything, who who hears the prayers before we offer them, who knows the number of hairs on our head, who knows our thoughts, who knows our intention, who knows what we're going through, who answers every single prayer that is offered up. He Sabbathed. But... My work is too vital. Yeah, but Jesus. God who left heaven to come here, who spent 33-ish years on this planet, three and a half of those preparing the next generation of leaders to, to, to multiply the church, to spread the church to the ends of the world. Mm, Jesus' Sabbath. Sabbath. But there's too much to do. The burden is too heavy. It's too heavy for me to to, to do what I need to do. Just remember what Jesus himself said. Matthew chapter 11. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. These beautiful and powerful words, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Resting in, delighting in, spending time to enjoy him and what he has given you. We think we have to overwork, overcommit, overrun in order to prove our worth. The one who came and died for you The one who who came and created for you and created you tells you I have done everything that you need to be worthy. Your worthiness is in me. You were made in my image. Enter into the rest that I want you to have. I'm not asking you, church, to do something that I haven't wrestled with myself. And over the last half a year, I I have been trying and trying and trying to adopt a rhythm of rest. It started when Mike Miller sent me a text with a picture and says, have you read this book? And that book was The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I said, I've had it on my shelf for three months. I've just been too busy to read it. He says, well, maybe we should read it together. So I, I read and, and began to just slide, slide in a few of the things uh, that John Mark Comer was saying in that book. And that led to our men's team uh, focusing our, our fall retreat on rest. And that led to a, a, a Wednesday night Bible study on rest, actually that, that book. That led to our men's night of worship being about Sabbath. Sabbath. That led me to recommending that book to, to a lot of people. And the funny thing is that now last week, some people were recommending that book back to me. So I'm glad that a lot of you are reading that. It, it started to become this rhythm of life that I desired, that I longed for. It led to today. It led to this series. It led to this desire that before we enter into something heavy, to something new, to something tough, that we learn how just to sit with God to create margin in our life so that we can slow down and take in and consider what God would want for us, the best for us. I make no apologies about that. It was tough. It was tough to adapt. It was tough. Uh, So my week, Monday through Wednesday evening, I am yours. If you want to take me to lunch, buy me coffee, I'm yours. If we want to have Bible study, if, we want to, if you need to talk about something, if we need to go visit somebody, I am yours. As much as I can squeeze in to Sunday through Wednesday evening, I, I'm all in. Thursday, Thursday is a day where my desire is not to see any of you <laughs> outside of an emergency if we need to. But that's a day where I am just in God's Word. I, I'm finishing up Sunday's sermon. I, I'm just in, I'm studying, I'm reading, I'm planning And Friday. Friday is my Sabbath. And in Friday, the goal is not to leave the farm. It's to enjoy God's Word, God's presence, and God's creation. And then Saturday and Sunday, and it just starts all over again. And I love this rhythm. And I found myself just, just being more focused. I found myself being able to, to, to exercise more and to read more. But then when I find myself deviating from that is when I feel that frustration level come up. It's when I, it's when I feel that tiredness creep in. But being in that rhythm has been great for me and I want that for you. Because I've tried to schedule meetings with some of you guys. We need another day or two in the week to be able to fit in everything that we think that we need to do. And especially as we're coming into a season where we're, we're going to ask you to wrestle with things, I don't want us to be a, a either say yes, because that's just what we're in the habit of doing, just adding more and more stuff to our schedule and just to say yes blindly or to say no blindly. I don't have enough time for that, for, but for us to be able to stop <coughs> and to consider and to sit with God in making decisions that will impact our future, the future of our family, the future of this church, for us to be able to think as God would have us think, to process as God would have us process. I want that for you. I want that for this church. I want us to be in ministry together for the long haul. Not just until we have that entryway taken care of, not just until our debt is paid off. I want us to be in ministry together for the long haul until, until Jesus either calls us home or until he comes back to get us. So I want to encourage you this week to start incorporating Sabbath into your life. I have been proud of those who we've talked to, those who are, are, are taking this in. Mark and Connie McCain, uh, I, I encourage you to, to, to rely on them. They're, 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 they're working to incorporate Sabbath into their lives jointly. Not Mark over here or Connie over here, but together. Okay? And they'll, they'll be honest with you. There's some days that they do great. Some days they don't do so great. I'll be honest with you. Same thing. But this week, I encourage you to look use the resources if you're a reader uh, there's a list of books uh, on the on the one sheet if you're not a reader uh, get get audible get something to read to you uh, listen as you're driving to and from from work right there's stuff on right now media about this important topic but this week i invite you to incorporate sabbath into your life only you know how you operate best maybe it's something that you can sneak into Gradually, maybe you just need to rip the Band-Aid off, jump with both feet, and just do it. We honor God in adapting our life to his design. He created this for us. He blessed it. He made it holy. He commanded it, and he gifted it to us. St. Augustine Augustine, um, said many years ago of God, you have made us for rest. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Jesus reminds us that the Sabbath was made for you. God did not create this day and then create man to fill it up. He created man and then gifted this this precious day, this precious time to us. We're going to sing a song after we pray called It Is Well. And I want you to be honest as you sing that. Are you honestly able to sing, It Is Well With My Soul? If not, I encourage you to join me, join others in your faith family who have this desire to enter into this time that restores relationship, that, that has a reward of rest, that has a reward of spending time with God, and of knowing him more intimately. Let's become people of God who practice and relish and enjoy the gift of God. This week, the gift of Sabbath. Father God, we thank you.